0: Welcome into the Magic Weekly Podcast, Monday, January 13th. I'm your host, Jake Chapman, in our Magic studios. A two-in-one week for the Magic, starting off with a win over the Brooklyn Nets last week. Another win at home, finish out that homestand with a W over the Washington Wizards. And then you set out on the road, a six-game road trip, a season-long six-game road trip. Started out with a loss. On Friday night in Phoenix, it'll be the Sacramento Kings tonight in Sacramento. Wicked back-to-back Wednesday and Thursday with the Clippers and Lakers. And then we'll see the Golden State Warriors coming up on Saturday night in San Francisco. We're going to catch up with Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated here in a moment. He was uh, in town this past week writing a piece on Markel Fultz. Did a phenomenal job, and I would uh, encourage you certainly to check it out, and he saw a couple of good games from Markel. Certainly that game on Monday night against the Brooklyn Nets, a 101-89 win. Uh, that was a good game to see uh, if you wanted to write a little something about Markel because it was a career-high 25 points. That game was tied at 78 with about seven minutes to go, and Steve Clifford reinserts Markel Fultz into the game, and that was all she wrote because Markel rattled off a 7-0 run on his own after the game. He was very forthright with questions about his injury, and I thought it was really interesting. I'm going to play some sound here in a minute, but Markel, ever since he's arrived, has been an open book as far as his injury goes. He's willing to discuss it. He's not, you know, sort of like saying, I want to keep that behind me. He is willing to address his injury issues, and I thought kind of interesting after the game, he basically said, like, this is something I'm going to have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. I'm not magically healed of thoracic outlet syndrome, and he talked about that last week. I thought this was interesting. Yeah, it definitely. It, it was still there. Um, mm-hmm. It still was a process, and um, it still is a process. You know, I'm able to do more now, but, you know... Um, I know where I want to be, I know where I can be, so, you know, that's what a lot of people don't know, they think, you know, it's all over, but, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm still working to get to a certain goal, so, um, I'm extremely happy, you know, everything's been going positive, I've been, you know, working every day, and that's all I can ask for. And one of the things I'm going to ask Chris Maddox about is, you know, from a national perspective, how are people viewing Markel Fultz, because... One of the things that caught me off guard and certainly people around here is just how open and forthright he's been about his injury, about his ups and downs, about the pressure he faced there in Philadelphia, and how how good and comfortable he feels here in this Magic organization. So it's been um, certainly delight uh, a delight to watch Markell just play and enjoy his game and, and certainly the future is very bright from Markel Fultz. You get that win. Magic feeling pretty good about themselves. At that point, they had won 4 out of 5, uh, excuse me, 3 out of 4 out of the new year after Jonathan Isaac's injury. Took care of business. Got that 4-0 season sweep against the Washington Wizards uh, on Wednesday night. And then it was off on this road trip. And this Phoenix game on Friday was very frustrating. Now the Magic very banged up, headed into it. Obviously, you're still without Jonathan Isaac, Al-Faruq Aminu as well. Likely for the rest of the year. We found out last week, Al-Faruq Aminu had surgery and will likely miss the rest of the season uh, with that torn meniscus but you are also without DJ Augustine and Aaron Gordon on Friday night in Phoenix and all things considered uh, a game effort by the Magic they got 28 points from Evan Fournier Uh, Nick Vucevic was huge down the stretch he hits big back to back triples to put the Magic up four with less than a minute left Mm, but Devin Booker happened throws into Booker, Booker again Fournier right up on it Comes around Nate and screen. He got to look for three. That's going down. You knew that. He got a great look. Tough screen set by and Booker knocks down a three. We got a one-point game. 94-93. Front court Orlando. 45 seconds left. Foltz drives in on and No shot. Wheels it back up top. Never got the receiver. Picked off by Booker. Front court Devin leans into another three. Got another one. Back-to-back triples for Devin Booker. One on a turnover, and it's 96-94 Suns. That changed in a heartbeat. So a tough L there and a tough way to start out the road trip. We'll see tonight moving forward uh, about the Magic's relative health. Still going to be game time decisions for both DJ Augustine and Aaron Gordon uh, for this game tonight in Sacramento. And then obviously if you can get either of them or both of them back for these L.A. games, that'd be huge. And Michael Carter-Williams is close as well. So as the Magic move forward, you got to get your bodies right. This is that stretch right now. This next month or so before the All-Star break are absolutely the dog days of the NBA season. And this is when you can make some movement in the standings, both for better or for worse. At the Magic, stay banged up. And if they have big members of their rotation missing for an extended period of time, that could spell trouble. They're right now in the eight seed in the Eastern Conference at 18-21, and 21. but the Brooklyn, Net, uh, Brooklyn Nets got Kyrie Irving back yesterday. Uh, they got a win last night over the Atlanta Hawks. And he looked like Kyrie. He looked refreshed, and so Brooklyn was able to tread water without their superstar. They're at 17, uh, they're at 18 and 20 right now, and so I would expect them to make a little bit of a jump here. Gonna have to sort of mind your Ps and Qs. Magic a half game behind them right now for that eight seed. And again, if the Magic don't get healthy, then that could spell doom. I mean, it's kind of like get me through this next month, get me to the All Star break. There's still four and a half games clear of Charlotte, Chicago, and Detroit. And uh, let's see, five and a half games clear of the Washington Wizards. Uh, Cleveland is still 12 and 27. They're still in the mix. They're six games back of the uh, of the Magic right now. And so keep an eye over your shoulder, certainly. But as of right now, it looks like you know it's going to be Orlando and Brooklyn coming down the stretch here. These last couple months fighting for the seven and eight seed in the Eastern Conference and top six kind of looks like it's locked up. And my guest this week for the Magic Weekly Podcast can be seen and heard a lot of places. Sports Illustrated, of course, the Crossover Pod, which is a great one. He and Jeremy Wu dropped a really good one on Friday. NBC Sports Boston as well. He's Chris Mannix. And, Chris, I know there are a few more in there, but thanks for taking some time here today. I appreciate it. How are you? I'm good, man. How you doing? I'm, I'm very good. You were in town last week, Chris. Uh, you wrote a great piece on Markel Fultz. Saw a couple good games, certainly. That Brooklyn game was I think probably decidedly the best game of his career. I guess just give me your impressions of Markel, his situation here in Orlando, and if anything surprised you about your visit.
1: Really impressed with what I saw out of Markel Fultz. Um, you know, he'd obviously been coming along over the last couple of months, but that Brooklyn game was a breakout game. Even the game he played against Watts, um, he didn't score a lot, but he did hand out seven assists. I think that was a uh, a big stage and is a big step for his development. He's just, when the trade was made, I just thought it was the perfect place for him to land. I mean, he goes from being the number one pick in a high-pressure situation in Philadelphia to just being another guy in a relatively low-pressure situation in Orlando where he's got an ideal coach in Steve Clifford who is terrific at developing young talent. So I just think that what we're seeing from Markel Fultz right now is probably just scr- from him over the next uh, few years.
0: You mentioned, I mean, I think on the surface, it's pretty easy to see, okay, it's Philadelphia. We know what Philadelphia fans are. It's the first pick. It's kind of a mysterious injury. It's the comparisons to Jason Tatum, all of that stuff. And then on the flip side, we know that Orlando is, you know, not one of the, um, I don't know, I guess primary NBA markets. You don't have the media. You don't have the fans, sort of the rabid fan base like you have. But then when you get into it a little bit more, Chris, and you mentioned Steve Clifford, I want to get to him in a minute, but what the organization did for Hell, were you able to glean information about that, just kind of telling them, relax, bringing them along over the course of the summer. We're going to start with one-on-one. We're going to go three-on-three. They handled it pretty correctly every step of the way, didn't they, as far as the front office goes?
1: Yeah, they really did. And it began by immediately saying, you know, he's not going to play for the rest of the season to really in the off season, bringing him along as slowly as he needed to go. And, you know, he didn't play actual basketball until mid-summer. And when he did, it was, it was, step. It was one-on-ones, it was two-on-twos. You know, he worked closely with Steve Hetzel, the assistant coach down there, who, you know, in addition to working on his skills, I thought did a great job of getting him more comfortable in fact with that shoulder. They used kind of those football pads and, and really got physical with him so that when he did ultimately run into one of those big screens that you do in the NBA, you're you're able to, to, to be able to withstand it and take it. So no step, no steps were skipped on this way back for full. So I think that's a credit to the organization for the approach that they took.
0: And then when you talk about Steve Clifford, obviously the development of Kemba Walker in Charlotte, um, but what do you think of Steve Clifford? I think he, you know, as a lot of things in Orlando tend to do, um, he goes a little under under the radar as far as the national media and the national, I guess, NBA fans go, but uh, this is one of the best tacticians, and he, he really does know how to get a point guard from A to B, doesn't he?
1: Yeah, he does, and look, ask nobody else but Kemba Walker, and you'll know enough about Steve Clifford. I mean, Kemba Walker has said many times that Steve Clifford was the guy that got me to the next level. When Steve Clifford took over in Charlotte, Kemba was coming off a pretty solid first year. But under Steve Clifford, he became an all-NBA player that right now I think is shooting close to 40% from three-point range. Those are all things that Clifford was able to draw out of him. Now, they're not the same player, of course. Kemba had... You know, loads more confidence than Markel Fultz did when Steve Clifford started to work with him. But Cliff has a real ability to be able to kind of identify, uh, you know, what a guy's weaknesses are, how to build them back up. He's got a terrific staff with Hetzel and Pat Delaney, who are two high level assistant coaches in the NBA. And and they've just been patient and and worked very, very slowly with him. So it's been really impressive. And And for Markel Fultz, you just could not have landed in a better situation with that head coach.
0: On that team. Tell me about the player. When you start to spin it forward a little bit, um, he look. He's he's bigger than I think most people think. He yeah. um, he obviously has some time. You know, as soon as he bulks up a little bit, he's going to get it even tougher. But man, he can finish through contact, and then he uses you know sort of that hezy dribble. He just gets where he wants to on the floor. When you start to spin it forward, what do you think the future looks like for Markel the player?
1: Well, with the caveat that everything comes down to his ability to become a reliable three-point shooter. Yeah. He has all the other ingredients to be a great player. I mean, you know, I remember covering him extensively, you know, at the end in Washington because you know, I covered the Celtics a lot in Boston and they had the number one pick and I really dug into L. Fultz and he had this sort of shiftiness to his game, this sort of Chris Paul-like ability to probe the paint and create offense using his – I didn't know about him. And I've seen this year was just how physical he is. Mm-hmm. You mentioned he's bigger than most people think. He's only going to get bigger. I mean, when he gets a chance to get into the weight room and work with these strengths, I think he's going to really get uh, better. To go back to that, Nets Dinwiddie and Garrett Temple. These are seven, eight-year pros, guys that are finished products physically, and he was able to do that uh, right now. He's going to pop as his career goes on. So, I you know. Look, he, he's got to work on that shot even more. It's got to become. He's got to be able to make, you know, 35, 36 percent, taking four or five. If he can do that, I am extremely confident, most people I talk to are that the rest of it is going to come along very quickly.
0: Chris Mannix with me. Jake Chapman here. It's the Magic Weekly Podcast. Chris, uh, of course, from Sports Illustrated, NBC Sports Boston, and a million other outlets. What about Markel the person? Because that was one thing that struck some of us down here. We really didn't know what to expect. I think he... You could probably forgive him if he was a little leery of media and of fans in general, but we've all been sort of struck by, I mean, he's so great with his time. He's gracious. He's humble. He doesn't seem like he distrusts very easily. What about meeting with Markel the person and getting a chance to talk with him a little bit?
1: Yeah, I'm at how open he was talking about pretty much everything. You know, you when you're doing a kind of story that I was down there to do, you do have to you know go back a little bit sure. and talk about Philadelphia and talk about the criticisms the social media stuff that he read on a daily basis and the effect on him and he was very very open about that now it's probably a little bit easier to be open about it now right he sees kind of the light at the end of the tunnel like he sees how his career is likely to play out and that he does fit in the NBA and he does is able to play as a healthy player but you know, he, he's he's a very candid guy, um, a very open guy, gracious, of course, with his time as you guys down there know full well. And I think that's going to make him an even bigger star.
0: Chris, give me your impressions of the Magic from 30,000 feet. I mean, obviously injuries have kind of derailed the season. Derail is probably a bad word. Injuries have hampered yeah. uh, maybe you know what the team could have accomplished overall. Jonathan Isaac was certainly uh, enjoying a breakout year defensively. But with the trade deadline approaching and with where this team is right now, still uh, you know squarely within the top eight in the Eastern Conference, how do you see this uh, kind of unfolding as far as the rest of the season goes and just sort of where the Magic are right now?
1: Yeah, the the Jonathan Isaac injury was a killer because of how well he was playing and and just what he did for that team defensively. There are two things I look at with the Magic and and how they finish the season, really moving forward as well. One is Aaron Gordon a part of their long-term future? Um, you know, there there's an argument to be made that Gordon and Isaac are somewhat redundant. Um, you know, can they play together? Can you can they do they work well enough together to keep them around both in the long term? And I'm interested to see just what Mo Bamba develops into. There are times, you know, and I don't watch every Magic game, but the, the few I watch live and, you know, the handful I watch on TV, there are moments when he just looks like he can be a dominant player, and there are far too many moments where it looks like he's sleepwalking through stuff. And that's that, I think, is, is problematic, especially at that age. I mean, you've got to at least be playing with fire, with passion. And there are a lot of times in the minutes I've watched with Bamba, he just doesn't look like he's playing with that type of, of fire and passion so if you're Jeff Weltman and John Hammond and Steve Clifford I mean look you want to make the playoffs this year but as much as anything else you want to know what your future is going to look like which guys are going to be part of it and there are a lot of young pieces on that roster and if they're able to figure out who the guys they're going to roll with moving forward are by the end of the season I think they'll be in good shape for the following season to maybe even compete for one of those top five seats.
0: What about the trade deadline, Chris? Is this going to be a quiet trade deadline? I mean, you got some, I guess, big names floating around if you include, you know, Kevin Love um, and potentially Andre Drummond. Um, Is it going to be—and I'm anxious to see how free agency in this summer, and and more specifically the summer of 2021, affects all this. Do you expect a lot of movement in the next couple weeks?
1: I do, and
0: it's going to be in combination
1: with the trade deadline and players that are bought out. I do think that there'll be a number of quality players bought out, whether it's Tristan Thompson um, in in Cleveland, Jan Mahimi, perhaps in Washington, that could be valuable role players on teams. And if you look at the top of the standings, there's no super team out there. I mean, one player could tilt the balance in either conference uh, you know, for the team that comes out of it. So I think those two things matter. I think, look, I think Andre Drummond is going to be very difficult to move. It just I mean, his, num- his salary number is very very big, and he's coming up on a contract year. I think the Pistons will have a tough time finding something they want in a deal like that. I do think Kevin Love gets moved. I think Kevin you know, has made it clear one way or the other he'd like to be in a different situation. There are enough teams out there. Miami, I think, is hot after Kevin Love. Um, I think Portland's a team to watch there. Sacramento's a team to watch there. And even the Clippers could be a team to watch there when it comes to to Kevin Love, so that's probably the biggest name that gets moved, but there are a lot of teams out there that, you know, six or seven of them at least, that think they're a championship-level team, and, you know, a player like a Robert Covington or a Tristan Thompson or, you know, one of those seventh, eighth, or ninth men, uh, they could be a difference maker for those teams in the playoffs.
0: I'll leave you with this because I'm a Cleveland native and I worked in Cleveland before I came back down here. What's his value? Because hey, you, want, you want to get him riled up on sports radio in Cleveland. Uh, try to tell somebody that there's not a lot of value for Kevin Love right now because of that contract. What kind of a return do you think they can get?
1: You know, it, if they get anything more than expiring contracts and heavily protected draft pick. Yeah. I'd be surprised. Yeah. I mean, the the perception of Kevin Love is that, look, he's still a very good player now, but there's a fear because of his injury history that in 18 months, that contract is going to be an albatross. You know, it's, it's 28, 29 million at the back end. and That's a lot for a team to, first of all, it's a lot for a team to absorb. It's also, it's much more for a team to want to give something back in return for a deal like that. So I expect, uh, you know, I expect Kevin Love to be moved, but it's it's probably going to be for expiring contracts and maybe one of those top 20 protected first-round picks that Orlando gave up to get Markel Fultz.
0: He's Chris Maddox. He's on Twitter, at S.I. Chris Maddox, senior writer, Sports Illustrated, S.I. Now, Crossover Pod, NBC uh, Sports in Boston. Chris, we appreciate it, man. Thanks for the time, and have a good one, okay? My pleasure. Anytime. All right, there he is, Chris Maddox. Jake Chapman here with you on the Magic Weekly Podcast.